Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. World leaders met earlier this month for the annual United Nations Convention on Climate Change. And they did get some ish done, like a loss and damage fund for the countries that are most vulnerable to climate change. But other countries, like the ones that make lots of money off of oil production, weren't willing to agree to some more ambitious ideas, like eventually phasing out fossil fuels. And I don't know about you, but I'm not staking all my hopes on world leaders to figure this all out. And that's why today we're playing you an episode from November of last year about how we can take steps to tackle our anxieties about climate change and how to find hope in all this. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. We cannot just rely on leaders of our countries to make these changes. Laura Clivens is a climate reporter for KQED. At this point, the problem is so huge that we all need to be involved and we all need to push those leaders for the things that we need and and we demand for our lives. And so I wanted to write this piece, which is about what you can do, what you as an individual can do about climate change because so much rests in everyone getting involved. One of the first things that you write is, let's feel some feelings. What do you mean by that? And why does this matter? (laughs) The reason why I think it's super important to talk about feelings in climate change is because it's not just a, here are the facts, go consume them and then do what you will with them. It's such an enormous problem and it's really scary because we're saying goodbye to something that we understand, to the seasons that we've counted on to be regular. And we are going into a new version of this planet and we have lost a lot of things and we will continue to lose a lot of things. For me, what I really needed to do was process a lot of those feelings. I felt deep paralysis. I felt 
tons of fear, um, sadness, guilt. You know, we've all been part of this. And a lot of it is through systems we didn't create. So it's not, you know, we're not deeply at fault for a lot of these things. But, you know, we've participated. I drive a car that still uses some gas, you know. So it's like we need to address these feelings to move through. And I've seen that when you address the feelings that you have, then you're able to actually confront the issue. And in my own experience, the feelings don't go away. I have days where I feel totally awful about the situation, but they're way more manageable. And that is because now I'm engaging in the opposite of the fear, which is taking action. And in my way, that's writing about climate change. I really resonate with this feeling of paralysis. How do you move past that? Like, what's an example of processing these feelings about climate in a way that is actually helpful? Such a good question, because I think our society particularly is we've we've worked really hard to sort of remove ourselves from emotions and how to naturally process emotions. But there's a lot of ways to do it. One is simply to connect with other people. And while it might not seem like this is a solution, it actually is. It's talking about it. It's talking about this with peers and with people that you trust, with family members, about the fear that you have and and just acknowledging that that's real. And it can be super informal. It can be like, you know, with your peers or it can be formal. Like there are therapists and uh, grief groups that are actually formally put together that have been hugely helpful. There's actually networks of therapists who are, uh, quote unquote, climate aware, Right. And so this is somebody who isn't going to say, oh, just move to, you know, the Midwest if you're worried. You know, that's not a climate aware therapist. It's somebody who can help you acknowledge uh, the pain and and talk through some of the challenges and go to dark places and then help you move through that so you can come out another way. And then there's just connecting with nature. It, It feeds us in such an amazing way. And it also reminds us of how we need to protect it. And so getting out into nature and seeing the wonder of these little uh, snails that are in the park just outside my house, like, you know, there's just a wonder in them. Let's move on now to the next step where you write, imagine the future that you want. Can you talk about that? Why is it important to imagine when it comes to addressing anxiety about climate change? It's important because a lot of the conversation we have is about what we don't want. And what we don't want are these scary apocalyptic situations, right? Like a return of the orange sky that descended on the Bay Area, but more frequently. Um, That was incredibly scary. Instead, what we can also think about is what we do want and what a beautiful thing we could create um, that would come with reducing the amount of fossil fuels that we use, actually. We would have fewer premature deaths each year from air pollution, perhaps fewer instances of asthma, fewer visits to the hospital. We can think about what has happened during the pandemic where streets have become... Uh, places for humans. And that also depends on a total systems shift where we make transportation accessible to people. And then we can see a lot more, hopefully, jobs come to the Bay Area to restore wetlands or for other sort of technologies, whether that's electric cars or batteries for electric cars. 
And also in the doing of things and in the seeing of others doing things, that can have an impact on our mental health. Let's talk about that third step, um, which is to act. So when you say act on climate change, what specifically are you talking about starting at the individual level? In your personal life, there are a few things that really can make a difference. Fly less, drive less, and driving less, it could mean giving up a car, it could mean switching out for an e-bike or an electric vehicle. Those are better than a standard car. It could mean using public transit more. There's uh, eating a plant-based diet. People have heard this many times. And then to green your home, and that would be doing things like insulating your home, getting double-pane windows, and you can make, you can slowly switch out the bigger bigger ticket items in your home, like when it's time to replace your stove, replacing it with a convection stove, swap out your natural gas furnace for an electric heat pump. But um, you run into issues with this. Like if I say, okay, drive less, and you're like, well, listen, like the bus line just cut down service in my area, then we're getting into a systems change that needs to happen. How do you think about the role of individual actions when there are these much larger things like governments and corporations that have played huge roles in this crisis and have even used this idea of individual actions to kind of deflect from their responsibility. Like, what do we do about that? And and where do I kind of place that in my mind? Yeah. And you're bringing up a debate that's a really common one among people who want to do something and they think, okay, well, if I'm going to do something individually, my individual action isn't going to really move the needle. And you know what? Mathematically, it won't. But if we act collectively, that absolutely will. It's just signaling what is important in your lives. We want to keep it, and people talk about this number of 1.5 degrees Celsius a lot, but there's no point at which we give up because every tenth of degree does matter. This is such a huge issue, and what's excellent about that is that you can tap in at any level because it's so big. So if you're an artist, there is so much value in creating music or visual arts that addresses climate change. If you are a community activist, this is such a ripe space for organizing your community to create change, whether that is increased bus lines, uh, better tree canopy, or a variety of things like that. So it's really where the place to start is to actually ask yourself what makes you come alive and to think about where that could intersect with climate change. Because if you choose something that it's so far afield from what you actually love or gets you out of bed in the morning, that thing is going to be out like a New Year's resolution. So it's got to be something that that you can stick with. We've talked quite a bit on this show about the ways that people try to make change in their communities, what can people do as part of a group? So inevitably, our voices are more powerful when they are coupled with the voices of other people. And it's way more fun to also tackle the challenge together. It also is so much more hopeful because when you're trying to do something alone and you're in your little silo and you're not talking about it because we're assuming no one wants to talk about it, you just feel paralyzed, right? As, As so many people have felt and do feel presently calling representatives, taking political action, lobbying. 
voting for climate candidates. So research shows that electing representatives, specifically representatives that have ranked high on the League of Conservation Voters National Environmental Scorecard, actually significantly reduces a state's carbon dioxide emissions. And... Voting female politicians into office is linked with stronger climate policies and lower emissions. You know, we talked a lot about just how overwhelming and stressful it could be to, you know, wake up to a a smoky air. Um, And we've already done, I think, a lot of damage to our Earth. But what difference can we still make even as the planet is already warming? Like, can you give us a sense of like why what we do still matters? So there's this idea around hope with climate change, right? It's like, some people are like, it's worthless, who cares? But the thing is by just acknowledging, by saying we're done, then you're sealing our fate. That is the same type of action that will lead to the same consequences as somebody who denies that this is a problem. I'm not saying let's just hope and cross our fingers and you know go about our daily routine, but where I get hope is from now doing the work that I do where I talk to all these people who are involved in climate change and I hear all the things that they are doing. And it's taken me from a place of never, never wanting to read the articles, wanting to bury my head in the sand and just hope that this wasn't happening to a place of, of hope. Laura, thank you so much. Thanks, Erica. Thanks to Laura Clivens, a climate reporter for KQED. By the way, she and other KQED climate reporters want to know your questions about climate change in the Bay Area. We'll leave you a link to a place where you can fill out the form that's there and help our climate reporters cover the things that you care about. This episode of The Bay was produced and cut by Raquel Maria Dillon, and it was produced and scored by our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. That's it for us today. Talk to you next time. <laughs>